Shabbat. Uh, this year is dedicated in memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman, Zichonot Libracha, by his loving family. Uh, the the shir is about Zachor, about Parashat Zachor, which is this, this Shabbat. And it's probably a good idea for everybody to go to shul. Uh, my own children always go to shul this Shabbat. They never, my daughters, that is, they never go to shul and any other Shabbat. Except for Bachelo, somebody goes to shul. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is, it's uh, even though there's a machloket about whether women are obliged in the midst of zahor, um, usually they take the take advantage of the fact that they should go to shul. So this way, it's exciting. Let's look at the uh, what the pre tzaddik has to say about where this mitzvah of Zachor came from. You see on, this, on page 3 there's the pre-tzadik. The pre-tzadik quotes the pasuk milchama l'ashem b'amalek midor dor. God battles with Amalek from generation to generation. It's hard to understand what this means, midor dor. Like what's, uh, what's it got to do you say Amalek. That I understand. Why why do you have to add Midor Dor? So he quotes the Tanchuma. You see? Tanchuma. Tanchuma is uh, a midrash. It's a, it's a midrash agadah. Midrash agadah it doesn't usually deal with any halakhic subjects. The Midrash Tanchuma. At the end of Parashat Kitet say, Rabbi Lazar Omer, Midoroshel Moshe, Adoroshel Shmuel. So we know. We'll look at the, at the text in a moment just to remind ourselves. In the generation of Moshe, there was the original battle with the Amalekites, who for some reason came and attacked B'nai Yisrael after they left Mitzrayim. After they left Mitzrayim, right? There's Yitziat Mitzrayim. Then they get to a place called Rifidim. And in Rifidim, they were attacked by Amalek. And that's where you have the story of Moshe Rabbin held up his arms. And as long as his arms were up in the air, B'nai Yisrael were victorious. That's the story. The second thing is, he says, Midoroshel Moshe, Adoroshel Shmuel. Shmuel Hanavi. Shmuel HaNavi directed the king at the time, whose name was Shaul. Right? Shmuel HaNavi directed Shaul to do battle with the Amalekites. And he did. And he won. He beat them down. But he, he was directed to kill all of the Amalekites by, Sh, by Shmuel. And he didn't do that. He didn't also kill all the uh, the livestock and animals, but he especially did not kill the king of the Amalekites, whose name was Agag. Whose name was Agag. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Midoroshel Shmuel, Adoroshel Mordechai Vester. 
So the second opinion, Dor Dor, right? What does Dor Dor apply? Which generations are referred to? Rabbi Yeshua says, Midorosha Shmuel, which we just described, Shmuel and Shaul, Adorosha Mordechai, the Esther. Now, Mordechai and Esther fought against the Persians, but they were directed, these Persians were directed by Haman. And Haman is called in the Megillah many times, Agagi. Right? And Chazal understood that as meaning that Haman was, uh, was particularly Amalek. He was very Amalek. And therefore, the, the opposition of Haman to B'nai Yisrael is somehow similar to Amalek. Similar to Amalek. And at that time, it would seem, it would seem that the Amalekites disappeared. Right? They, his family, Agag, his sons were hung the battle was won. It doesn't seem to be much in the way of Amalek after that. But there's a third opinion. The third opinion is Rabbi Yossi Omebi Dorosho Mordechai Ve'ester Ad Melech HaMashiach. Right? That even though after Mordechai Ve'ester uh, seem to be the physical defeat of Amalek seems to have been done, it nevertheless continues Ad Melech HaMashiach. I don't know exactly what, what uh, Rabbi Yossi meant when he said Ad Melech HaMashiach, but if we like sort of give it a Rambamistic type of twist, uh, the time of the Mashiach is a time of enlightenment. People understand things better, and they're not so interested in destroying each other. Right? So, not so interested in destroying each other. And so, uh, <coughs> the, Rambam, the Rambam says that when Yeshayahu says, Vigar Ze'ev in Keves. Right? Do you remember? Uh, a wolf. A wolf. What's a Ze'ev? A what? A wolf. In Keves. With a sheep. Right? That, that this is some, this is like a, not a natural thing. It's not natural. So many Mephoshim say that there'll be a change in the nature of things. The Rambam disagrees. The Rambam doesn't think that Yemotah Mashiach is a time when the nature of things will change. So he says the Garbus is a realignment of the political reality. That before the Yemotah Mashiach, uh, people naturally hated each other for whatever reason. And during the Yemotah Mashiach, or after the Yemotah Mashiach, because they him Kevis, uh, uh, everybody will somehow get along. That's what enlightenment is, according to the Rambam. If you are a Rambam type of person, so you think that if everybody went to college, everybody would be friendly. Even though not the people in college are not always friendly with each other, nevertheless, that's the way you think about it. So, so, it turns out, according to the Pritzadik, quoting the Tanchuma, that there were three periods, right? There's Moshe to, Moshe to Shmuel, right? Shmuel till Mordechai and Esther, and Mordechai and Esther until Yemotah Mashiach. And that's the reference 
bidor do. That's that's why the pasuk emphasizes emphasizes bidor do, which might mean that in this kind of relationship between Am Yisrael and Amalek, there are three levels or three events that have to be dealt with. They, that we are always we are always supposed to uh, uh, wipe them out. But there's a difference in what we are exactly wiping out in the beginning and then later on. So he continues a little bit more in the in the. Uh, he says, "Shehu gimel dorot, dor chad dorim shnayim areklat." There are three generations. Somehow, because it says dor, and then it says dor dor, so we can count that as three. Even though I know there are only two, so you have to be a little bit liberal here. Inyan machloktam de gimel pa'amim. He says, how is it that the machloket between B'nai Yisrael and Amalek is divided up into three periods? Three periods, of course, three tanaim, three periods, but that's what he says. Matsinu inyan mechiyat Amalek bedoroshel Moshe. That the machloket between Yisrael and Amalek in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu Sha'azniz Naveg Lehem Amalek V'nil Chamubo that they came upon them and they fought against them Uktiv V'yachlosh Yehushuat Amalek We'll see the Pesach in a second and it says in the Pesach that Yoshua weakened them Yoshua was the general in charge of fighting against Amalek and this is what it says in the Pasuk. They didn't do away with Amalek. They weakened them. Right? So now let's look at those, those Pasukim. If you look at the, the page one on the sheet, it has this parasha at the end of the Shalach. At the end of the parasha of the Shalach. Amalek Israel now the Torah does not explain why Amalek came and fought with Yisrael Berifidim. The only one who explained himself in the Torah was Balak. Remember Balak? He was afraid of something. Whether he was justified or not justified, but he was afraid B'nai Yisrael would conquer his people, but more than that, would conquer the land that they come rushing through with their flocks and they would destroy everything in sight. And therefore, Balak felt justified in somehow trying to stop them. And the way he tried to stop them was by getting Bilam to curse them. That was his plan, his original plan. At the end, uh, he did wreak havoc with B'nai Yisrael when they sent the Midianite women to entice the uh, the men into uh, serving some sort of idolatry, but at the beginning he was not successful. Here, however, it says It doesn't say why. It doesn't say why Amalek came. Go and fight against the Amalekites, Machar, whatever that word means, tomorrow. Why tomorrow? If they're coming upon you, so you can go. What the word Machar is doing, 
And then you can read it also, I, my job, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm going to go up on this hill and I'm going to take the mate, the staff with which I did all the miracles in my hand, right? And Yoshua did it. Moshe, Aaron, Bechur, Alu, Rosh Hagiva. Moshe, Aaron, and Chur went up to this hill. Vaya pasuk yudal. Kasha yirim Moshe yado v'gavar Yisrael. V'kasha yadich yado v'gavar v'gavar Abalek. And everybody knows the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah that says that this was an act of faith, right? That B'nai Yisrael, that uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu raised his hands heavenward, heavenward, then the people looked up. And they, uh, they renewed faith, and they were able to be victorious. When Moshe Rabbeinu put his hands down, it didn't work out uh, so well, but he did it. And then it says in the next pasuk, it says, Somehow his arms were faith. They were the source of faith, or the object of faith. I mean, however you want to explain that in a way that, uh, that makes uh, Makes sense to our in our vocabulary. Then pasuk yud gimel, you see pasuk yud gimel, vayachalosh Yoshua et Amalek. And this is strange. If there is a mitzvah, even if the mitzvah had not yet been given to B'nai Yisrael, if there is a mitzvah to do away with Amalek, why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu, why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu direct Yehoshua to finish them off? Why vayachalosh? Vayachalosh means incomplete, not a perfect victory, not a complete victory. Vayachalosh Yoshua damalek v'tamolificharet. Vayom Hashem al Moshe pasuk yudalid, an interesting pasuk, which is itself problematic. Vayom Hashem al Moshe tov zot zikaron. It is the first mention of the word zikaron. That when is something a zikaron? When it's in the sefer. When it's ktovlano. Yeah. Uh zikaron. Ktovzot zikaron. If you look at the Rashi in Pasuk Yudalit, I'm sorry we're jumping around, but ktovzot zikaron, sheba amalek listavegli Yisrael, that the Amalekites came to kind of uh, uh, cleave to the Jews, Kodem, the Kol HaUmot, they came first. That's the Zikaron. It was what did, what was it that we remember about Amalek, according to this parasha, according to Rashi, that they were the first. They, they broke something down. They were the ones, so if I would say it, or I would explain it, I would say they destroyed Yitziat Mitzrayim for the non-Jews. <coughs> they destroyed because in as far as Yitziat Mitzrayim was supposed to be a lesson for the entire world as the Ramban points out and the Rambam also in different ways but Yitziat Mitzrayim besides the fact that it was enlightening and enhancing for the people who were allowed to leave Yitziat Mitzrayim it was also supposed to affect the world at large and it would affect the world at large because they would understand 
that there was something special about Am Yisrael. They had something that no one else had. They had something that no one else could achieve, and that was the support of the one God who created the world. That's what they were supposed to learn. And this was, and this was broken by Amalek, because Amalek, even though they knew all of this, and they had heard all of this, and this was like the only big news in town, it wasn't like modern day Israel, we have to listen to the radio, find out what really, what's new, because there's something new every, every day. In those days, there wasn't so many things that happened. Yitzhak Mitzrayim was big news, and everybody knew about it. Everybody knew about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And there was this, I, this choice, right? This, this moment, there's like a critical moment, is the lesson going to be learned by the entire world or not? That was the question. Amalek said no. Amalek said that that's why, why Moshe Rabbeinu had to fight the battle with Emunah. It was the, the uh, strength that Moshe Rabbeinu gave to Bnei Yisrael was Emunah because they were weakened by Amalek. Even though Amalek was fighting a battle, yes, but everybody understood, everybody understood that that battle was against Yitziat Mitzrayim. I remember, where are the Jews? They're in Rufidim. They're like halfway from Mitzrayim to Har Sinai. Right? They're on their way to, to get the Torah. And to get the Torah is a, a time where you have to have a perfect faith to receive the Torah. It ought to be able to stand before HaKadosh Baruch not stand before the Aaron Kodesh in the synagogue that says, but to stand before HaKadosh Baruch really, in order to stand before HaKadosh Baruch really, <coughs> you have to have that faith, that perfect faith. So that Moshe Rabbeinu was defending Am Yisrael, the faith of Am Yisrael, which was garnered at Yitziat Mitzrayim, he was defending that faith by holding his hands up, how this works exactly, okay, we don't know. Maybe Moshe was pointing at something, maybe he was davening, but he was doing something which was an antidote to what Amalek was doing. And that's what Rashi says, they were the first ones. Who cares if they're the first ones or the third ones or the seventh ones? Because they broke the barrier of Yitziat Mitzrayim. They were the ones who did it from ever, then ever after. Anyone who came to attack, or anyone who was attacked by the, by the Jews did it on the basis that, uh, that they could win. They could, that, that they could uh, change the course of history. That they could change the, the path of Am Yisrael, right? All of this came from Amalek, according to this, according to this parasha. Now if you uh, you look at uh, at the Rashi. You see the Rashi by Yavoa Malek? By Yavoa Malek. Samach parasha zo Right? This parasha comes after the problem of Mayim, right? They complained about not having enough water. And then this pasuk, Lomar tamid ani beinechem umizuman lekoltzorcheichem. I am always with you, God says, and I am ready to take care of your needs. Right, the B'nai Yisrael were complaining. 
the complaining about the relationship between God and B'nai So there was always this problem. The only problem is the fact that there were miracles mean that there'll always be miracles. The fact that there were miracles that came one after the other, ten miracles in, in, uh, in series, does that mean that there'll be an eleventh miracle and a twelfth miracle, right? This problem was a problem that B'nai Yisrael were wrestling with in terms of their own, their own faith. He says, Atem omrim, So B'nai Yisrael were wondering. They said, Is God still with us? I mean, we, have to, we, we left Mitzrayim, we're out in the desert, we have new challenges, new difficulties, new problems. Is God still supporting us? Chayechem. Chayechem is like a word of swearing, you know, I take an oath. Sha'akelev babano sheichetchem v'atem tzorakim elai v'teidun heichanani. So I'm going to teach you. I'll teach you a lesson. The kelev, the dog, is running out. They're gonna gonna bite at you, and then the uh, uh, So then you'll know where God is. You'll know about God. The kelev, of course, is Amalek. And then Rashi says, Mashal. This is a a metaphor. A metaphor for the following: Ladam sheher kiv bino al al He uh, he put his son on his shoulders, and he went out on the road. So the son, sitting on his father's shoulders, would see something on the ground. And he said, Abba, can you get me that, uh, that sweater, that book, that uh, cell phone, you know, lying on the ground? Give it to me. And the father obliges him. The second time, the third time, they met up with another man. So the son says to this guy who's walking along, Have you seen my father? He's on his shoulders. You get it? No. Uh, okay, I can't help you. So the father got nervous and excited. So what, what do you mean you don't know? You don't know where I am. He threw the kid off of his shoulders and then the, the dog came and bit him. <coughs> so you see, you see that, that Rashi clearly states that it's a matter of faith. In other words, no matter how many times God protects you in, uh, in series, like one time and another time and another time, right? No matter how many times it happens, you could still wonder about next time. You could still wonder about next time because even, even, even today, I think it's, it's certainly true. I mean, as we, as we imagine that there are an unthinkable number of functions that enter into the divine decision and there's no way for us to know what they all are so we can be suspicious about our relationship which is why the, the story of Avram Avinu starts off with a covenant starts off with, a, with an agreement between a Kodesh Baruch and Avram Avinu and that agreement is the thing that is supposed to yield us faith in history.
it will work out. It will be as it should be. How do I know that? Because Hashem told that to Avram Avinu. That's how I divide. Not for that, I wouldn't know it. All these questions would be correct. How do I know if God saved us yesterday that he will save us today? I mean, how do you make a, how can you make some kind of a rule out of the way God reacts to things? So this is the story of Amalek. Now what's missing in the story? What's not in the story? Not in the story is a mitzvah, an obligation. Uh, where does it all come from? So if you turn the page, let me turn the page, you'll look at, um, no, you don't have to, I'm sorry, don't turn the page. The bottom of the page, the psukim are on the bottom of the page. This is the end of Dvarim. Right, the dead of Dvarim, which is the Parashab Sachor, which they will read in Shul this Shabbat morning in a semi-neurotic manner. They read it in most, in most uh, shuls, and somehow the Jews have, have come to the conclusion that if there's a mitzvah of reading something out loud, we probably don't know how to read. Which I think is, is quite remarkable, because all we did for the last 3,000 years is read. I mean, that's all we do. But we've decided we don't know how to read, and we don't know how to pronounce, and we don't know how to say it loud enough, or soft enough, or paper, listen enough, and, and, and uh, it can drive you, drive you a little crazy. But it's, it's over quickly, no matter what. There is this very odd idea that uh, uh, it says in the last part of the Timchet Zecher Amalek. Remember that word Zecher? There's another word in Hebrew that's <coughs> this is called this is called five nekudot. You know, five nekudot that Zecher and a and a segel. Ulpan, uh, remember Ulpan? Isn't that what you learn in Ulpan? Yeah. Five Nikudot, five Nikudot, Zay, Cher. Then there's six Nikudot. There's another word someplace else in the Tanakh. Zay, Cher. Zecher. So it was decided in some miraculous fashion that we don't really know, even though there's no manuscript evidence for this, all the vocalized manuscripts have five nikudot. Zecher. They all say Zecher. <laughs> I can see, I can see about, you're not with me or I'm not with you. Also. When they read, when they read the Torah, when they read the Torah, they get to that word, so the, the, uh, uh, the ballet kore go into catatonic withdrawal and they have to figure out a way to read both these words the words with five nekudot which is zecher and the one with six nekudot which is zecher now the really interesting thing about all of this about this idea is that Israeli Hebrew if you go to that kind of shul where there's an Israeli who's the Baal kore, was not ashamed of reading in Svaradit. Israeli Hebrew does not distinguish between a tzera and a sega. So what happens is, he reads exactly the same thing twice, and he thinks he's reading something different each time, which is 
certainly mind over matter. And so and everybody's happy. You know, they're very happy because they did it. They did whatever it is they're supposed to do. So look at what it says. Zachor. It says Zachor. Zachor is a is a command. It's a tzivui, right? Zachor et asher So what is it that we have to remember? What is it we have to remember that they came first, that they were the first ones that they acted against faith because they said they they, they denied history, the future. They denied it. Asher karchabaderech. So they met up with you in the road, and they, they eat away at the people who were in the back, who couldn't fight very well. That's what it says. This is a description of the situation. Now, what's the lo elokim? What's the antecedent of lo elokim? It could be Amalek, a lo elokim, but that's no big deal. Why does the Torah have to say that? Of course they're low It would be more interesting if you could say that the Pasuk is talking about B'nai No, B'nai Yisrael. At the moment, there's, there's, a, there's Amalek and Yisrael. Now one of them is low Elokim. So I say, obviously, Amalek is low Elokim. But why does the Torah have to say that? We know that Amalek attacked Yisrael, we know that from Shmot, but maybe Lo Elokim refers to the Jews who are Lo Elokim, which is why Moshe Rabbeinu had to climb up on the mountain or mountain or hilltop and hold his hands up for Yedav Emunah because they were missing Emunah. In order to, in order to note, to make a, a special note of this, uh, of this idea, of this idea, here, it's, it's highlighted in my sheet here. The lawyer, you see the Rashi, turn the page to the first thing on the right, four lines from the bottom. Rashi says, Amalek Elohim. That the Amalekites did not fear God. Because if they did fear God, they would not even attempt to do anything bad to you. That's the way Rashi explains it. But I'm saying to you that you could explain it. As the lawyer Elohim also refers to B'nai Yisrael, they, they were not your Elohim, which is why Moshe Rabbeinu had to intervene in an act of Emunah. He had to intervene in an act of Emunah. Uh, and then it says in the Pasuk, at the end of the Pasuk, it says, Timcheh Zecher Amalek, we talked about Zecher. Timcheh, wipe them out. Timcheh Zecher, but it says Timcheh Zecher Amalek. What does Timcheh Zecher Amalek mean? The memory of Amalek. So what is it that we're trying to remember? What is it that we're trying to wipe out? And what is it? It would seem simple shot. It's nothing to do with Amalek at all. Because once the Amalekite broke down that barrier, after you'd see at Mitzrayim, and, and said, well, maybe the faith of Israel is misplaced. And maybe the Jews are going to get, uh, are not going to be given priority seating in Olam Haba. Maybe all of that is true and we can take them on. That's what Amalek, that's what Amalek uh, 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 did. So Timcha Zeich Amalek simply means 
There is this idea. The idea devolves from one nation to another. It's not about Amalek. It's about faith. It's about faith. So whatever it is that's causing the lack of faith in the world should be attacked. Should be attacked. How do we attack it? How do we attack that lack of faith? By Zachor. We attack the lack of faith by remembering. And now if you go back, if you, <coughs> if you go back to, uh, to the, uh, where is it? To the uh, pre-tzadik. Let's go back to the pre-tzadik. The pre-tzadik. So the pre-tzadik says, B'dorosha Moshe, I'm on line 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. So line 8, the first word is Amalek. The second word is B'doro. B'dorosha Moshe, Shaz, Nizabek, Lechem, Amalek. Amalek cleave to B'nei Yisrael, V'nilchemubo. Uchtiv. V'yachalosh Yoshuat Amalek. And he weakened them. He weakened them because the attempt that Amalek made to deny the future of Jewish history as it is related to their relationship with God, that was usurped. Again, means that Amalek continued to exist. It didn't matter who took upon himself the mantle of Amalek. It could have been Midian, it could have been Moab, it could have been Plishtim, it could have been Parsim in the time of Mordechai and Esther. It didn't matter. Haman stood up against them. The words of the Megillah to destroy, to kill, to, to wipe out. And after that, it was turned around, it was turned upside down. Which is for them, for the, for the, for the Goyim, for the nations of the world, is a proof that Jewish history marches on. It's not that the kibush has any meaning, that the kibush, of, that the conquest of the Persians in Persia means something to us. It doesn't mean a thing. But it meant something to the non-Jews. It meant something to the way they understood the place of the Jews in uh, in divine history. It's called Christomathy. This is not what happened with Shmuel. Now that text of the story of Shmuel is on the sheet, but we don't have time to go through it. But you could go through it. He says correctly. He says the Amalekites were not doing anything to the Jews at the time of Shmuel. They were just there. But they didn't come to wage war against them. commanded Shmuel and Shaul Lachrim et Kol Ashel Amalek to uh, to place a kind of a cheren on everything that belonged to Amalek. Vainyan, vehainyan. So the so the uh, uh, pre-tzaddik wants to understand history. He's like, what happened? What happened between? Amalek number one in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu and Amalek number two in the time of Shmuel and Shaul, right? In, in, uh, in Amalek number one, 
the Amalekites came to destroy the belief that their history would unfold in a certain way. And they were weakened, which means that that belief in the world was maintained. Right? Other nations thought the same. And we saw that was true with Balak, even though he doesn't mention that. But we saw that in the case of Balak and Belama, it was true that you could fight faith with faith of a different kind. Right? That's what, that's, what, uh, uh, that's what Balak and Bilam were to do. Ha'inyan, he says, I'm five lines from the bottom, the third word on the line. Ha'inyan, this is what this all is about. He says, in the desert, where they were about to get the written Torah. Written Torah, Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments, Moshe Rabbeinu was then going to sit down and write the entire Torah, which he did when he came down the second time, third time, from the mountain on Yom HaKippurim. He taught teaching B'nai Yisrael the Torah and writing it, writing it for them. Vazit gare Amalek Yisrael, and that's when Amalek took their stand against Am Yisrael. Levatel mehem Kabbalat Torah so he says there was an ulterior motive. It wasn't just to weaken their faith, which I think is the obvious shot in the Psukim. But he said, of course, you have to remember that they're on their way to Har Sinai. And why did the Amalekites choose this moment to attack? So he says, that that's when they were supposed to get the written Torah. And this would ensure that they would never get it. The place that they were at in the desert was called Rifidim. They weakened themselves from, uh, from learning the Torah. I'm on the last line of the right column. They knew that when they get to Matan Torah, that they will be freed from death. And they knew that this would do, the Amalekites knew that this would do away with the Yetzirah, with the evil inclination, Shegaram Hapgam, which made this blemish in them. So he goes in a different direction. He says, he says, you know, in order to kind of get, get all, of, all of these different ideas together, He's saying, like, where did Amalek get this idea? Where did it get this that they could do it? How come they weren't impressed? How come they weren't impressed by Yitzhak Mitzrayim? He doesn't say, I mean, this is my introduction to what the pre-Tzadik is saying. Yes? It's not written in the words we just read. But the pre-Tzadik, the pre-tzadik says, where's, where's Amalek coming from? Who, where they get so clever? that they're going to go and stop the march of history and, and make God uh, uh, renege on, on the promise that was made to Aramir. Where they get this idea from? So of course it comes from Adam Arishon. 
נכנס באדם הראשון חווה, הוא זינט. This is like the mystery that everybody, that is Hasidut especially, comes up again and again and again and they say, they say, look, the only way that God could create a world in which there is a creation, a being that has free will, is if there's a Yetzirah. I mean, let's leave aside the question of where this Yetzirah came from in creation. I don't know about that. But there's got to be a Yetzirah. It ought to be a choice. You've got to be able to say, well, I'll do this or I'll do that. I'll go this way or I'll go that way. I mean, I've got to have a... Have, that's what making a choice means. And that's why we always we know about angels. That's why it would have to be angels. Because angels are the counterpoint to humans. Angels always do the right thing. And they always do exactly what they're told to do. And they don't have choice. They don't have free choice. We have free choice. And free choice means <coughs> that no matter how righteous you are, no matter how uh, perfect you are, no matter how you... Uh, keep the, the mitzvot and avoid the averot. No matter all of that, no matter all of that, you still have a kind of an itch. Maybe, maybe I could just do it once. Maybe I'll just do it this time. And that was what happened to Adam and Chava. However you explain what led them to follow the, the, the dictate of the Nachash, I mean, however you explain it, the fact of the matter remains that they did it. And the fact of the matter also remains that their awareness of the presence of God superseded anything we can even imagine. I mean, walking in the Garden of Eden, you know, God will, will talk to them. Just straight away. I mean, it's not something, it's not a, a, a feeling or an experience that we have any way of locking into or connecting to. So, Amalek knew that. Amalek knew that there was this Yetzirah and they knew that if, if I mean, sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm making it up a little bit, right? But I think I would say that, uh, that the pre-Tzadik is the influence for the story that I'm making up. So they knew that, that, they, that if B'nai Yisrael get the Torah, because they are, have, they are pure, and that's what the Gemara Shabbat, that Pesai and says, that B'nai Yisrael were cured from the hate of Adam Harishon. They, they are standing at Harsinai. They were pure. They didn't have any residual hate. They were overwhelmed by the experience. They were overwhelmed by the experience. There was no hate at all. <coughs> there was no hate at all in them. And so, uh, so, so they knew the Amalekites that they have to get them. That together, what's a better way of getting them than having a war? Because in a war, everybody makes these kind of decisions. Everybody fighting in the in the war: should I kill him? Shouldn't I kill him? Should I try to kill him? Should I go forward? Should I go backward? It's the perfect time. If you've ever been in a war, take my word for it. Oh, you don't have to take my word. For it. I'm not a great warrior, but I was in a war, and uh, you know, you do things. You think of doing things that you would never think of if you're in a normal, regular kind of situation. So he says, 
and we have a quote from the Zohar that says Amalek is the Yetzirah. Right, so that's what Amalek was. Amalek was, was you know, to make it current. I mean, I think the priest ought to get to understand. The priest ought to get saying it's not a, a limited kind of thing. Something goes on all the time, all the time, and therefore you have to get rid of this. And then he goes on and says, came with the Rosh Mordechai Vesna. Chazal had this strange idea. They had this strange idea that Kabbalat HaTorah Shel Torah Shabal Peh Laidim Haidah Rabbi Simcha Kimu V'Kimu HaYehudim That they accepted the Torah Shabal Peh Purim. Why they accepted the Torah Shabal Why did Why somebody come up with such a crazy idea? Where's there? All there is is Mordechai and Esther and Hobman and Hashverosh. There's no Kabbalat Torah. Uh, even Chazal knew that. That this is like a strange idea. So how would they say, how could they say that the Kabbalat Torah Torah was <coughs> was at that time? I mean, where they come up with this idea? I mean, not come up with this idea. Where do they imagine that this could, that this could actually be? This is well. Well, you know, is God watching them or not watching them? What's Torah Shaval Peh? What is Torah Shaval Peh? Torah Shaval Peh is the ability to think as God would think. The ability to move. You know, somebody asks you a Shiloh. Somebody asks you a Shiloh. So what is the Shiloh? What is it that they're asking? They're saying, well, what would God say in this case? As we know, when we, uh, we mentioned it already, right? That when Yitro wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to set up a court system, and Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to do it. Why didn't he want to do it? Because he said, when the people come to me, they want to get the answer directly from God, and that I can give them, and nobody else can do that. Right? So what's Torah Shabbat Peh? What is Torah Shabbat Peh? Torah Shabbat Peh is the confidence that my analysis and my reasoning is somehow in tune with HaKadosh Baruch it's a further chesed it's a further chesed a, a kindness from God that I can, can exist I can be I can answer the question I can answer the question which is a tremendous which is a tremendous idea the tremendous idea so the so so uh, uh, Chachamim looked at Megillah's Esther and he said there's no mention of God, there's no divine intervention, there's nothing. There's just people who are uh, devoted to Am Yisrael coming to conclusions and doing things that they're supposed to be doing. That's Torah Shabalpeh. That's Torah Shabalpeh. And that's what, what they saw. They saw the Megillah as that. And so the Pritzadik says, Right? Were the beginning of Torah Shaval Peh that we know of. Torah Shaval Peh that we know of. Right? Kmosh Amru, Allah Ezra Bavel, Yazda, Barav Chochma, Mo'il, Levatel, Harav Kaas. So we know that Chochma uh, trumps Kaas anger. And so you have another case 
Haman, Agagi, is fighting against B'nai Yisrael specifically. You look at the Megillah, if you look at the Megillah, you look at the text of the Megillah, there's nothing you can understand about the hatred that Haman had for the Jews. What did they do to him? What did they bother him? Right? The fact that they were different, they were, Persia was made up of many groups that were different one from the other. But he says, it was in order to vatel why? Why did he want to get rid of the Torah Shaval Peh? This is the, the pre tzaddik Why did Haman want to get rid of the Torah Shaval Peh? Because, <coughs> because it was the proof that Jewish history still exists. It was, it was that critical idea that God is with them. Right? That's what Torah Shaval Peh is. It's not just, I mean, you can, you can think whatever you think, but people who believe think that the will of God is expressed in the Torah Shavuot. And that's what Haman understood. That's certainly what the pre-Tzadik understood. And that's why we say we, can't, we, we receive the Torah Shavuot. Torah Shavuot. Okay, so that was it. So the Torah, receiving the Torah, is a reflection of history. Now, as a result of all of this, as a result of what happened with Moshe, and what happened with uh, what, what was stated at the end of the Torah, in, in, uh, and then Shmuel and Shaul, and then finally with Mordechai and Esther, Mordechai and Esther, we have an obligation of Zachor. We don't have an obligation to fight. I mean, this I'm saying something that is not generally accepted, but I'm going to say it anyway. We're not obliged to fight a war against Amalek. We're obliged to remember Amalek. Because if you remember on the level of ideas, there may always be an Amalek. It doesn't have to be a person with a Tudatze hood that says, Amalek on it. Anyone who tries to stop the march of history that'll take Am Yisrael to where HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avram Avinu, anybody who does that, that's Amalek. That's, where I, that, that's the way I understand it. And therefore you have the problem or the mitzvah of Zachor. Now there's one more thing I want to say. I'll get it in. What is the What is Zachor? What, what, what does it do to remember? What does it do to remember? <coughs> what is remembering in the, in the Torah? Now I know that the people wrote uh, very intelligent and learned books on Zachor, but I have a simple, a simple thing to say about Zachor. When God created the world, when God created the world, as the Kabbalists point out, there are certain verbs that are used in the parasha of Bereshit that reflect creation. Aleph, Bet, Yud, Ayin. Aleph, Bet, Yud, Ayin. Is a, with Gershayim on top between the Yud and the Ayin. Aleph stands for Amira. Bayomer Elohim Yehi Or. Right? Bet is Bara. Bereshit Bara Elohim Eta Shamayim Beta Aretz. Yud is Yitzira. Vayitzer, Hashem will give it to Adam. 
and then ayin is asiyah. Right, so these are the verbs that are used in the story of the creation of the world. And <coughs> those are the verbs that the creation had to live up to. Because we have this idea that everything is reflected, right? Things in heaven are reflected on earth, things on earth are reflected in heaven. It's a kind of a midah, connected midah, but about ideas. The ideas of heaven devolve onto earth and the ideas in earth, you know, reflected, are reflected in heaven. So but the people who were created could not live up to that standard. They could not live up to the standard and so they were, eventually the Mabul came, the flood, and wiped out everything that God had created. Right? The Mabul, of course, is Tohu Vavohu. Right? It was the creation was about separating the waters from the dry land, and then Mabul was covering up the dry land with water, so he didn't have that separation anymore. It was all back to the beginning. I mean, God didn't have to recreate Yeshmiyayan. He didn't have to make something out of nothing, but he could go back a few steps to the first pasuk of the Torah. Right? That's what you had with the, with the Mabul. Now, how does the Mabul end? Perik Cheta Breshit. How does the Mabul end? It says, Vayizkor Elohim et Noach. Vayizkor Elohim et Noach. God remembered Noach. Of course, since we're all Rambamistim, after a fashion, that's ridiculous. When God doesn't remember things, God doesn't forget things. And so, what was the point? of putting in that word, putting in that word. Hmm? So the answer is, in the davening of Rosh Hashanah, davening Rosh Hashanah, we quote uh, 10 psukim of zikronot. Why do we call it, what do we quote 10 psukim of zikronot? Only because we're feeble-minded and we don't remember anything. So we'll quote these 10 psukim. What do they got to do with doing tshuva, with standing before God? I mean, what does zikronot have to do with anything? So I think that the world changed after the flood. And by Yisqar Lekimah it was like God said to the world, if you just remember the right thing, you'll get a credit. Because it's a different world. It's not the world of Adam and Chava, which was a tough world to live in. It was a tough world to succeed in. It was tough, that world. It's not that world anymore. It's a world where the the uh, the line has been lowered, or the bar has been lowered tremendously to Vayiskor. All you have to do, all you have to do is remember. So that even if you're not winning the battle against Amalek, or you're not willing it, winning it as well as you should be willing it, winning it, if you just that's a positive enough thing to ensure the existence of the world that was created after Noach. And that's why the Noach to tell us how important, how important it is just to remember. Just to remember what happened. It straightens you out. And if you remember and you think about what happened, it creates the antidote to Amalek. 
And even if there is no nation in the world called Amalek, if they don't really exist, the Rambam said something about that also in, uh, in the Moranibuchim, but even if the Amalekites don't exist, the idea exists. And the way to counterpunch against the idea is Zachor. It's Zachor, and Zachor has the two sides to it. We have to remember what Amalek wanted to do. And we have to remember by Hiyadav Emunah that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to save us in spite of the fact that Amalek was uh, strong enough to take that initiative. So, that's, that's what the myth of Zachor is, uh, as I understand it today. Have a good Shabbos.